feel strange being back up here after having a couple weeks off. <laughs> <Free> minister. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> you know, Phil spoke last week, and uh, thank you for that. And Marsha spoke the week before. <laughs> Man, thank you for that. Amen. Hallelujah. So, you know, um, I gave the message to the title last week for those that weren't here. And the title is, Lord, what, what do you want me to do? You know, so as we come into the new year, and I guess this probably should have, message, should have been the message I spoke last week or before the new year. But what do people normally do? They make, what, New Year's resolutions, right? And, and you know, people come up with all sorts of things where, you know, they want to eat healthy, uh, stop smoking, stop drinking, uh, spend more time with family. And all those things are good, right? And lose weight, right? Exercise more. Right. So though, I don't go to the gym like I used to, but we know for those that do go to the gym, the first two weeks you stay away. First two weeks of the year, you stay out of the gym because, you know, everybody and their uncle is going to be in the gym with, trying to fulfill their New Year's resolution. Right. And then usually as you get to the third week, it goes back to normal. Right. Because people don't don't um, don't keep up with it. Right. So, you know, and, and it, all those things are good. Exercising is good. But first, Timothy. Four and eight tells us that, uh, you know, basically bodily exercise profits a little means it's good. But godliness, right, is for all things. Right. Godliness is for all things. And, and, you know, even as Christians, we make New Year's resolutions. Right. You know, we're going to pray more. uh, We're going to read the Bible more, you know, or it may be we're going to read the Bible um, throughout the whole year. You know, try to read the whole Bible throughout the whole year. Or we're going to witness more and all those things are good. But just like the non-believers, right, we don't we don't stay true to that New Year's resolution. Why? Because there's no power behind it. Right. So what is a New Year's resolution? New Year's resolution is this. It is a promise to do something differently in the new year. A promise to do something differently in the new year. So I ain't go heavy in the research on this. But from what I could find, this New Year's resolution actually goes back thousands of years to the Babylonian time and, 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 it, and it's been passed down all this time right so you know resolving to start or stop doing a certain activity has no value unless you have the proper motivation behind it right and you think about it most of those New Year's resolutions even from a Christian perspective it really does deals with self on how to build up self with it right so even though even as Christians we say hey I'm gonna read the Bible uh, every day, things like that. Why are we doing those things, right? Ultimately, is it to glorify God in what we do, right? So, because if we're not glorifying God, then and and we don't mean to do it for for selfish reasons, right? It's not because, like I said, all those things are good, but whether it's losing weight or whatever it is, all those things are good. But again, what's the proper motivation behind it? All right. So we're gonna go to uh, Acts chapter nine. And uh, we're familiar with this. You know, I didn't realize that because I was like, oh, we, we just finished up Acts. But you know what? We didn't just finish up Acts because here we are what, going into the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. So really, that's like three months now. Right. We've been in Corinthians. So and in Acts chapter nine. So we probably went over this probably about seven or eight months ago. Right. On Wednesdays. So Acts chapter nine. And we're going to read most of this chapter. And obviously, uh, 
well, not obviously, but beginning at verse one. But before we read, I just want to summary because I know it's been some, some some months since we go through this. But, you know, it's familiar to most of us. But so I'm just uh, help reminding us uh, of some things. So uh, in Acts chapter six, Stephen is introduced and um, that's where the seven servants basically where we where we say we got the deacons from. The seven servants are, are chosen. And then after that. In, um, in the latter half of chapter 6, Stephen is speaking before people and he's speaking in wisdom by the Holy Spirit to where they can't resist what he's saying. But then he gets accused of being blasphemous. Right. So now we go into chapter 7 and then chapter 7, Stephen gives a whole sermon on the Old Testament all the way up to Jesus, you know, from Moses and presenting Jesus. And then what happens? They get upset because he calls them stiff neck. You know, you have always resisted the Lord. And they do what? They stone him. Right. And then as they go on to stone him, what do they do? They lay their garments near a young man named Saul. Right? And, and, you know, when we read that word young man, we sometimes tend to think, you know, maybe a teenager or something like that. But that young man actually in the Greek means someone that's up to the age of 40. Right. So it's almost really as if Saul was in charge. Of what was taking place. So now we go into uh, chapter 8. Because we see what's happened. Christians. Disciples are starting to be persecuted. Right. And. Saul is wrecking havoc. On the church. So I want to read what. Well I don't want to read it. But I am just want to say uh, in, in Acts. Actually I'm going to read it. Let's go to Acts chapter 8. <laughs> it wouldn't do sense for me to. It wouldn't make sense for me to just give the definition. All right. Uh, so we just flip in one chapter over. All right. Acts chapter eight, verse one. Now Saul was consenting to his death, which is Stephen's. At that time, great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. Verse three. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church. Entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. So that word havoc right there means injury to devastate ruin. Right. So he was literally brutalizing disciples. Right. He was brutalizing, injuring disciples. And he talks about this later on when he says, hey, I'm the least to be called a disciple. Why? Because he, we talked about it when we went through Acts. Because of his actions, he made people renounce their faith. Right. So he said he was not worthy to be a disciple. But Jesus did what? He forgave him. Right. He forgave him. So now as we go through later in Acts, we're not going to read it. But as we go through later in Acts, what happens? Uh, Peter and John, they're in uh, Samaria and then they come across again. Uh, uh, Simon, the sorcerer, he, he witnesses all the miracles that the Lord is doing and he wants that power. And then we also come across with Philip, the evangelist. He comes across the Ethiopian. And now that leads us into chapter nine. So let's go back to chapter nine. And we're not going to get through all this because I don't want to inundate you with a whole bunch of information. All right. So Acts chapter nine, beginning at verse one. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. So let's stop right there. So threats and murder. Right. So he's basically making threats of killing them. That's what he's doing to the disciples. Right. And I know 
the word Christian in the Bible means a follower of Christ. But if you look up Christian in today's time and definition, it doesn't mean that. Right? It, it, does, it doesn't mean it. So a Christian today actually means re relating or professing Christianity or his teaching. Right? And the reason why Jesus told us to go make disciples, right? Because what we've done today is anybody could say they're a Christian, right? Because they say they believe in God, they're going to say that they're a Christian. But it doesn't mean that they're a true follower of Christ, right? So let's look what a, a disciple means this. Disciple means personal follower of Jesus during his life. A follower, a student, or it also means a follower, a student, or a philosopher. So not only Jesus had disciples, but we know that John had disciples, right? So we are ultimately to be disciples of Christ. We, we're ultimately to be disciples of Christ, and we have to be careful sometimes because, like I said, you'll see on stage, uh, TV, people getting TV awards or music awards, and they thank God, but they're not living for him. Right. But people will consider them to be Christians. Right. But it's different to be a disciple. All right. Verse two. And Saul, sometimes I may say Paul, but y'all know who I'm talking about. Saul uh, asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them down to Jerusalem. And that word of the way actually means disciples of Christ. All right, verse 3, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the gold. So remember, so if someone persecutes the church, any believer, they're persecuting Jesus. They are ultimately persecuting Jesus because Saul wasn't seeking to hunt down Jesus, but he was seeking to hunt down disciples, right? But we're what? We're, we are God's property, right? So again, we don't have to worry about people doing things to us because we're God's property, right? So Saul set out this day to do his own will, his own desire, right? And Saul's not a, not a believer, but not yet, <laughs> right? But he's, he's going to be a believer right soon. But this could have been a New Year's resolution for him, right? To hunt down more Christians. And really, we say New Year's resolution, but it could be made, it could be a new day, right? We could wake up in the middle of April and say, you know what? Starting today, I'm going to do this, right? But New Year's resolution is the coin, popular term, right? But technically, we probably all make resolutions throughout the year. And we all don't follow them throughout the year, right? We, we, we start and we stop. We start and we stop. All right. I'm going to read verse 5 again. And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goals. Verse 6. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Verse 7, and the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. So, so let's stop right there real quick. So going back to verse 6, Lord, what do you want me to do? Right. So at this point, Saul is now surrendering to the Lord. Right. Because it's no longer become about his way. Now it becomes the Lord's way. But see, here's the interesting thing. 
We also learn from Acts uh, chapter 22 that they all saw the light. They all heard a voice speaking, but only Saul was able to understand what was being spoken. Right. And guess what? They all saw the light, but only Saul was blinded. Why? Because now it becomes, Lord, what do you want me to do? Now it's no longer about our way, but it becomes about the Lord's way. See, so now instead of making this New Year resolution, hey, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. How about saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? So now we take it off ourselves on what we want to do and what the Lord wants us to do. And see, when we go by what the Lord wants us to do, now it's more apt to be come to fruition. Because now, guess what? It's no longer about our power. It becomes the power of the Holy Ghost that's working through us. Why? Because we start to do the Lord's will and not our will. Amen. All right. Uh, so, going back to verse 6, we see here that Saul is actually being obedient because what? The second part of verse 6 says, Arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. He doesn't say, hey, go to the city and this is going to happen, this is going to happen. Go into the city and when you get there, you will be told what you must do. Right? That takes some faith right there. Right? So, see, sometimes we want the whole answer. Right? We want the whole answer. I'm, yeah, I do. I want the whole answer. Right? But he doesn't work that way. Why? Because he wants us to trust him. And sometimes it can be hard. Not sometimes. Most of the time, it can be hard to our natural bodies, our natural understanding. Because we have to remember, we're still human. We're still alive in this flesh. But he just wants us to trust him. And even when it doesn't look like it's going to work out, guess what? He's working it out. Right. But sometimes we get afraid <laughs> because guess what? Saul didn't have to continue to Damascus. He could have went back to Jerusalem where he was comfortable with because that's where he came from. That's where he got permission from the high priest. That's where his whole backing was. But no, he obeyed the word of the Lord. Go and you will be told what you must do. Amen. And see, sometimes we don't get past point one because we're afraid. And we, we want to look in the mirror. I don't have a mirror. But we want to look in the mirror. And then it becomes about ourselves again. Just like that New Year's resolution. But we have to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? We have to submit. We have to surrender to that. And as he leads us, he guides us, he speaks to us. Now we're doing his will. And now we can go be the light. Amen. See, so even as Christians, when we come up with New Year's resolution, hey, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this for the church, I'm going to do this for the Lord. Doesn't mean a hill of beans if it's not God's will. That's right. Sometimes what we think is God's will is not his will. All right. Verse eight. Then Saul arose from the ground and when his eyes were open, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. So Saul went from being a leader. To now he had to become a follower. Not only did he have to become a follower, but he had to become a follower to those who didn't know what the Lord said. Right. He, he had to he had to su submit. He was leading these people and now he had to turn around. And he had to submit to them. Right. That could be hard. That could be hard. Verse nine. And he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. So we could probably say he probably fasted. Right. Neither ate or drank. But that's going three days without sight. 
Right? So to us, we can read that. We're like, well, yeah, he got his sight through his. But think about this. This man has sight, was able to see all his life. Now, for three days, he doesn't see. He could begin to not trust in what he heard from the Lord. Why? Even after 48 hours, now he could have got what? Discouraged. Why? Because he lost his sight. So now he can't rely on his own, his own self. All right, so let's keep going. Verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in the vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise, and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is what? He is praying. Saul is facing a hardship here, but yet he is praying. The Bible doesn't tell us he's murmuring. The Bible doesn't say, hey, what am, he's going around saying, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? No. He's obeying command number one. Go to the city and you will be told what you must do. And then as he gets to the city, as he's led to the city, he's blind. He can't see. He could have went to go see a physician, but he's somewhere. He's praying. He's praying. So he's surrendering and he's submitting to the Lord's will because the Lord hadn't mapped out everything for him yet. Why? Because now this is a period of humility for him. Because guess what? Saul, just a few days ago, was a prideful person. And guess what? Saul thought he was doing right. Because it was his zeal that was carrying because he thought he was doing right for his religious, his religious beliefs and thought he was serving God and hunting down disciples. But see, Jesus had other plans for him. Right? And the, and the thing about it is this. Jesus didn't send somebody to him to change his heart, but Jesus came to him himself. That's, right. That's how much love he has. All right. I'm going to read verse 11 again. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. Verse 12. And in a vision... He has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. So this is also something new to Saul. So now guess what? Saul gets to Damascus. He's blind for three days, but he's praying. And the Lord is speaking to him. Hey, and watch this. The Lord is being specific with him. A man named Ananias is going to come and pray over you and you're going to receive your sight. And the good part about this, you see Ananias' relationship with the Lord. Because he says what? Early in the uh, verse, Ananias, he's calling him. And what did Ananias say? Here I am, Lord. Here I am. Just like Samuel in the Old Testament. Here I am. Right? And we have to, yeah, we have to, he knows his voice. And we have to obey his voice. See, it's just like the men that were with Saul when he was on his way to Damascus. They all heard the voice. They all heard the voice. But only one heeded to the voice and knew what the Lord was saying. Verse 13. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard, I heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. So that word harm means how much destruction, how much injuries he has done to your saints. Right? So this is this takes obedience from Ananias to go to someone he's heard about. <laughs> right? It, this is 
Y'all remember where I'm at. <laughs> so, where was that? What, remember what verse I was at? 14. 14. Okay, thank you. So, same thing with us. The Lord may be leading us to go to some people, but we may be uncomfortable in that. Right? And, and he's saying, go, talk to this person. Right? But then we're like, oh, Lord, I don't know. They're not going to receive me. Especially with people at our jobs. Right? He may lead us to go witness to our supervisors. No, they're not going to receive me. Right? And see, here's the thing we got to be careful of because sometimes we think that we're not, what's the word I want to use? I guess in a sense, prejudice in a way. Right? Because sometimes we have people that do witness, but they only witness to certain types of people. No, 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 no. See, there are some Christians, like, I don't want never mind. But there's some Christians, <laughs> I was going somewhere, but I don't want to do it. There were some, there's some Christians that will only go into Rudd's or go into um, Mosby, but they won't go into Windsor Farms. Right? There's some Christians that will go to 7-Eleven, no pun intended, Wawa, <laughs> right? but they won't go to Saks Fifth Avenue or Dillard's. Why? Jesus died for them too, right? And then, watch this. Statistics show that only 2% of Christians share the gospel. Because really, we're stuck in certain groups. We're stuck just witnessing to the homeless. And truth be told, it's easier to witness to those who are down and out than it is to those who are wealthy. Most of the wealthy don't hear the gospel. But Paul says what? I became all things to all people. That's what we're supposed to be. So now, if we turn around, if I turn around only witness to the middle class or the upper middle class, but don't witness to the lower class, that's wrong. But if I only witness to the lower class, but don't witness to the rich people I come across, that's wrong. There's no love of Christ like that, so I don't care if all you do is witness to rich people, but you don't witness to those who are homeless, you're wrong. And if you witness to those who are homeless, but don't witness to those who are wealthy, you're wrong. Because what you're doing is you're judging. So it doesn't matter which side we're gravitating to. If we only witness to one class of people, we're wrong. Truth be told, there's some black people that won't witness to black people. Right? White people won't witness to black people. Blacks and whites won't witness to Hispanics and Asians. But we have to witness to all people. Right. So what's happening is so even around these areas, we see people, they're witnessing, they're witnessing those who don't have, who are out and down. But those who are in these wealthy neighborhoods, they're not hearing the gospel. They're not going to church. Some of them do as a, you know, normal routine. Some of them do and they're not saved, but they'll still go to church. But some of them don't go to church. So the only Christ they're going to hear is somebody. I truly wonder when's the last time somebody goes went to Windsor Farms in Richmond. Y'all know y'all familiar with Windsor Farms? Okay, it's it's a wealthy neighborhood in the city of Richmond. How many people would actually go in there door to door? Yeah, they'll probably call the police on you. I will say that. <laughs> they probably would, right? But they still need Christ. Right? They still need Christ. And even if the police come, they're just gonna tell you to just move along, right? They're not gonna arrest you for that. He's not in Richmond. We have too much stuff to do <laughs> to, to be arresting somebody for that. But people don't go door to door there. Right? That's a problem. That's a problem. So same thing when we went to the governors. We weren't 
we weren't ashamed to share about Christ there. But there were some people that would not share about Christ with the governor's wife. They wouldn't. Why? I don't know. That's something we have to ask ourselves. That's something, and that, that's something that we all need to evaluate within ourselves. All right. That was a sidebar. All right. Verse 14. <laughs> uh, and, and here he has the authority. Still Ananias talking with the Lord. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go. For he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. So go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine. For many are called, but few are chosen. Guess what? They all heard a voice that was with Saul. They all saw the light, but only one was chosen. For many are called, but few are chosen. And one was chosen. See, because some of us, we've been around people, even when we were running the streets, Right? And we all probably heard the same message. I was right with people before I got saved, going from club to club, doing what I was doing. We all heard the message, but only one was chosen at that particular time. I don't know. Some of them probably got saved later. Right? For many a call, few were chosen. That's a perfect example right there with Saul walking with his group of people. They all heard the voice. They all heard, saw the light. But only one became blinded to his way. And that's what we have to do. We have to become blinded to our way. Amen. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying hands on him. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as he as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. So those scales, we wonder what that is. Those are actually flecks coming from his eyes. Right? Scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. Verse 19. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Verse 20. Immediately. Immediately. He did what? He preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. Watch this. Paul was educated in the, in, in the ways of the Pharisees up until this time. But he was not teaching. He was not learned in Christ. He didn't go to the synagogues preaching about seven ways to <laughs> obtain your faith, to, to build your faith up, or six ways to maximize the gifts of the spirit. No, no, no. New believer right here went preach, preaching Christ. That's right. Preaching Christ. That's what we have to go do. Preach Christ. It, it's not difficult. Right? But we make it difficult because we think, well, I have to know this. I have to know that. I'm not, I wasn't trained in this. Paul wasn't trained in Christ that way at the time. But he says immediately he went to the synagogues. Preaching Christ that he was the son of God. The one whom he was persecuting, the one he was arresting and injuring and murdering his disciples, his followers. Now he's preaching that he's the son of God. Verse 21. Then all who heard were all who heard were amazed and said, is this not the is this not he who destroyed? That means to wipe off from existence. 
who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them down to the chief priest. So now, remember, again, it was Saul's purpose, Saul's way on the way to Damascus. Now it became, Lord, what do you want me to do? Verse 22, But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Verse 25, Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. So understandable, right? Understandable, because this man left the city hunting you down. <laughs> and now he comes back. So now, human reason will say, yeah, it might be a plant, right? I'm not going to trust you, right? But again, fruit inspectors, right? But they probably weren't looking at that that way at that time. That's understandable why they wouldn't trust him. All right, where was that? Verse 27. Thank you. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. So now... Paul is defending the gospel. He's, just, he's defending Jesus. He's arguing for Jesus' sake. Jesus' name. Verse 30. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. They were multiplied. So think about this now because I thought about this when I read that. Uh, verse 31, that then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. Why? Could it be that Saul was the one raising all this ruckus and stirring it up? Because now he gets saved and what? Persecution stops. Right? Persecution stops. Why? Because Saul was a leader. And see, we, we learn later in Acts that he was more than likely a part of the Sanhedrin because he had a vote. He, he voted to, to jail his people. He voted to murder them. He voted that they should be punished and whipped. Right. He had, a, he had a vote. He talks about that, that he had a vote. But now, they all of a sudden have peace. They were once persecuted by this man, but now he gets saved and they have peace. So this goes back, again, what if Biden got saved? What is uh, uh, Putin, Russia? What if he got saved? Think about the effects that that would have on the world because he's a known figure. Right? Most countries don't mess with him like that. Most leaders are intimidated by him. But think about this. How many people have shared the gospel with him? Because they were afraid. Right? They were afraid. Now, I wonder if the Lord, because I don't know. I'm not saying that they just go up and do it, right? But I wonder if the Lord led somebody. Because I'm pretty sure there were some Christians that had some opportunities to be near him. And I wonder if the Lord said, witness to him. Share Christ with him. Right? But did they? Right? Will we do it?
Lord, what do you want me to do? Right? It, it can't be. Well, we, and see, sometimes we, we get in the habit to just going and, and, and sharing it with people. We got to be careful because now we turn into salesmen. And I can tell you now, anytime we feel pressure from a salesman or anybody else, God is not behind that. God is not behind that. But we got to ask, Lord, what do you want me to do? And if we say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Now he's going to lead us to somebody that will be open. They may not receive Christ. But it's a seed that will be planted. And see, the thing is, if the Lord is sending us to him, more than likely, I'm not going to say 100% of the time, more than likely, they're going to heed what we're saying. Even though they may not give their hearts to the Lord, they would heed what we're saying. Why? Because for, for someone else to come and water it later on. See, the Lord knows what he's doing because the Lord knows the hearts of all people. We don't. But see, we can't, we can't pick and choose who we're going to witness to. Because now, again, we're going to witness to those who we're comfortable with but not share Christ with those who we are not comfortable with. Right? And we got to be careful of that. It has to be, Lord, what do you want me to do in everything that we do? Right? And then if, if he's not speaking, see, because what we do sometimes, we say, Lord, what, what do you want me to do? And, and not just, just in anything. We'll say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then we'll go forward and say, well, I believe the Lord wants me to do this. And then if it don't work out, we move on to the next thing. Right? But then, is that what the Lord really wants us to do? Because if it's what the Lord wants us to do, it's going to work out. It's going to work out some way. It may not work out how we see things, but we're going to know it's going to work out some way. Right? But then, if it does work out, we're like, oh, praise the Lord. And then we want to testify about it. And the Lord may not have been behind it. And I'm not just talking about witnessing. I'm just talking about anything. <laughs> so even after he was saved, Saul, who we later know in Acts, becomes Paul, right? He didn't know everywhere where he was going. It became, Lord, what do you want me to do? That's why him as we, we read him and Silas, when him and Silas got together, they prayed on where to go next. Because they could, there were times where they said, hey, we want to go to this city, but the Holy Spirit stopped them. Because, see, again, that was them wanting to go, but it wasn't the Lord. And then the Lord would lead them to other cities to go and share Christ. Because the Lord knows whose hearts are ready. That's right. and, and the thing about it is, guess what? It's not, even if we're in the will of the Lord, doesn't mean everything's going to work out. Because if we remember, even when the Lord sent us to these cities, they were persecuted there. They were jailed there, but they still believed they were in the will of the Lord. So even when they got jailed, they still sang praises to the Lord and the jailer got saved. That's right. Because they knew without a doubt they were in the will of the Lord. Most Christians today, we don't know whether or not we're in the will of the Lord. We want to do this. We want to do that. And, and there's nothing wrong with feeling those ways. But we have to surrender and submit and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Amen. And it can't be, hey, I want to do this. I want to do that. No, Lord, what do you want me to do? Right? Because if he wants us to do it, then he's going to give us wisdom in it. And again, he's not going to reveal everything all at once to us. Yes. Right? There's pieces to the puzzle. Just like he didn't reveal everything to Saul here. He didn't tell him right away, Saul, 
you're going to go to the city, you're going to wait there, and then I said, no, Saul had to go, and then Saul had to pray. And guess what? We have to pray. So even when we're going through hardships, and we don't want to do it because our flesh is saying, no, I don't feel like it, we have to pray. And it's not saying that we have to pray hours a day, because everybody's different. We're not all built the same. We talked about this past Wednesday. There are some people who can pray for hours. There are some people who are only going to pray for five or ten minutes. That's okay. Right? We don't condemn them saying, well, no, you need to be praying longer. So that's what gets me even with these YouTube videos. I'm going to teach you how to pray for an hour. No, 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 no. We got to do. <laughs> we, and I, you know, some of them probably being right. You know, they probably just, not mean, be malicious in a way. But what does the Lord want you to do? Amen. Right? Because there are some intercessors they're called to do. So even when we're going out prayer walking, and we're going to start that back up, by the way, right? even when we're doing that, everybody can't do that. Some people just don't have a desire to do that, right? That's okay. So we got to be careful on putting things on people because everybody's not going to pray the same length. That's okay. See, and we have to even come into the, I'm going to get ready to close, but even as we come into the new year, Right. It has to be, Lord, what do you want me to do? Right. So what he was calling us to do in 2022 and 2021. Or even. 2006. More than likely is not what he's calling us to do now. And see, that's the problem with us. What we try to do, we try to go back and do what we did before to try to recapture the glory, the experience. Then the endowment of the power of the Holy Spirit that we had years ago. So I'm going to keep doing this, this and this to try to get that back. But we have to ask, Lord, what do you want me to do? Because he's trying to do something new, but we're still trying to get back to the old. It's new wineskins. 2023. Right? We can't fit the old into the new. Like that. And some people he may be calling to do the same thing. Right. But we got so even when churches get together, say, you know, you know, watch night services. And again, they're not meaning nothing by it. Say, hey, we're going to do this for the new year. We're going to now. What is the Lord saying? That's That's what we have to do. We have to ask ourselves individually. What is the Lord telling me to do for this year? And if he has not spoken yet, we may need to wait. We, We may need to wait and keep praying and keep praying. And keep praying. Because guess what? He's speaking. He's speaking. But just like there, only one heard the voice. So we can be in a whole mega church. People, the Lord could be speaking, but everybody's not going to hear. Right? Because everybody don't, you know, it becomes my way, this way. The difference with Saul is he surrendered. He got stopped. Right? And then, you know, yes, the blindness was a physical thing. But relating to spiritual things, guess what? It became no longer about him and what he was seeing. He had to become blinded to his ways. We have to become blinded to our ways. And that's what gets us in trouble because we keep going back. And again, like I said, trying to recapture the glory. While the Lord's trying to do something new. But again, Lot's wife did what? Yes, she was looking at sin. But guess what? If we keep looking back, that's still sin too. Because we're not doing his will. Right? So we got to look forward. We got to press forward. 
Why? Because each day we get closer to the Lord's return. And as we get closer to the Lord's return, guess what? The enemy is ramping up. He's going to ramp up. And y'all heard me say before, things are not going to get better. Things are going to get worse and worse. And trust me, even if there was to come a, a sort of peace or something like that, suddenly, suddenly, right? Because the devil's not dumb. And see, the thing is, too, you know, we see all the crime, all the havoc. Right? It's not really the devil doing that. It's man. It's man. See, because I was reading in Genesis this week, uh, you know, with Noah and um, when, when God was speaking and he was saying that, um, I think it was Genesis 6, where he was saying that, you know, basically he was getting tired of man because every way, everything they were doing was evil. He didn't say the devil was making them do it. That was their own sinful nature. Same way today. It's man's own sinful nature. Right? So we can't say the devil made me do this. The devil made me do this. Again, demon possession, different story. <laughs> right? But for the most part, everybody's not demon possessed. <laughs> right? But we make excuses. No. It, it's the will of man. It's the sin that's driving him to do things. And we got to be careful of that. But these are things that we're going to face. So, but we have to ask, Lord, what do you want me to do? And, and this is something that we have to ask every day. Every day. Amen. Amen. I'll stop there. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Heavenly Father God. Lord God, we just praise you. We thank you, Father God. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you for your word, Father God. Lord God, I just pray right now, Lord God, that you would help us, Lord God. Even coming into this new year, Lord God, help us as individual Christians, Lord God, on what you want each and every one of us to do, Father God. In our walk with you, Lord God. Help us, Lord God, to look to you, Lord God, and to become blinded to our ways, Father God. For even though we may think, Lord, that we're trying to do right and do a good thing, Lord, it has to be your way, Lord God. So, Lord God, forgive us, Lord God. Forgive me, Lord God, if I did things out of my selfish ways, Lord God. Help us, Lord God, to, to walk in humility. Help us to walk in love, Lord God, and to love all people, Father God, of all gender, genders, Father God. Help us to love all people of all classes, Father God, in the name of Jesus, Father God. For you, you sent Jesus to die for every person here on this earth, Lord. You didn't send us just to, to share you with one group of people, Lord. But you, you want us to share you with all people, Father God. You want us to be a witness for you, Lord. In this time, Lord God. And Lord God, even that word witness, Lord God, means even unto death, Lord. So, Lord God, I just thank you, Father God. I pray right now, Lord God, that you give each and every one of us boldness, Lord. I'm asking you, Lord, to fill us up with your spirit, Lord God. Refill us, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. For we cannot do this without you, Lord. We cannot do this without your anointing, Lord God. Help us, Lord God, not to go out of our own flesh, Lord God, but to trust you, Lord God, even as Saul did, even as a new believer as he did, and even as we, Lord God, as seasoned believers like Ananias, Lord God, trusted you, Lord. Help us, Lord, to trust you, Lord. 
even as Stephen did. And he was bold all the way unto death, Lord. For he was a true witness, Lord. For he was willing to die, Lord. That others, Lord God, can hear the truth, Lord God. Even though they rejected him, Lord. Even They didn't really reject him, but they rejected you, Lord God. But you, you honored him, Lord, by standing up. You honored him, Lord God. So I'm praying, Father God, that we will walk worthy, Father God, of, of your honor, Lord God. And that we will have faith, Lord God, not, not to shrink in the moment, Lord God, but to, to just trust you, Lord God. Not worrying about what happens, Lord God, for even if somebody rejects us, Lord God, help us to know they're not rejecting us, but they're rejecting you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, Lord God. So help us, Lord God, to, to be servants of humility, Lord God. Servants of love where we will not be selfish, Lord God. But sharing the truth with others, others, Lord God. Whether they be non-believers or believers, Lord God. For they are believers that are misguided as well, Lord God. And they need to hear the truth, Lord. Regardless of what position they may have or regardless of what title they may have, Lord God. So I thank you, Father God. And I pray a hedge of protection over each and every one of us, Lord God. In the mighty name of Jesus, Father God. Watch over us. Protect us, Lord God. Help us, Lord God, to have the revelation that your hand is upon us everywhere we go, Lord God. You are protecting us and your Holy Spirit who resides in us is with us everywhere we go, Lord. And for that, I say thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Father God, for your mercy, Lord God. Thank you for the truth, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for you, Lord Jesus, for dying on the cross for us. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.